Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is June 3rd, 2019, and this is episode 269. My name is Jake English. And I am not Scott Magnus, although I hope to one day earn the moniker of a poor man's version of Scott Magnus. Until then, I'm Matt Taylor. And on this week's show, we will go around the bases and dive deep into that draft that took place this evening. We'll also get into some extreme body switching. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right, it's time for the drink of the week. Matt, what are you drinking this fine evening? I've kind of kind of gone out on a limb with this one. Um, I'm having some tequila this evening, uh, some Espolon tequila, Reposado. And um, it's actually quite good, and I'm, I'm not sure I could explain why I'm drinking tequila, but I am. Good for you. Uh, I myself am, and, and I realize there's already a podcast for this, but I am drinking wine this evening. I am drinking a... Uh, we'll call it an inexpensive wine and not a cheap wine. I am drinking a uh, Boda Box Red Volution uh, straight out of the box. However, I have added enough ingredients to make it a um, bathtub sangria. Uh, so I'm drinking a uh, a red sangria out of a box. But not out of the bathtub? Uh, you don't know that, actually. On the audio format, you can't be sure. If you're interested in drinking along with us uh, throughout the week, you can follow us on Untapped. I'm at JakeE4025. Scotty is at MAGN8606. And Matt, are you publicly drinking yet? I am not. I don't think I have sophisticated enough opinions. I think I'm kind of more of a thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, uh, gladiator style uh, Roman drinker. So I don't know that I would have the, uh, the necessary depth to, to be untapped. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's a lot of pressure because uh, though people may not appreciate all of my beer choices, I can at least ask them, are you not entertained? And with that, let's go ahead and turn to social media to get our juices flowing. So let's let's see what's going on in Birdland in 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Now, the first tweet I'd like to get to is a tweet that comes from Joe Trezza, who's, of course, on the beat, and he tweets at Joe Trez. And this is a tweet that makes me feel like there's a, there's a silver lining in every dark cloud. The tweet is as follows. Here's an interesting little Orioles nugget for this afternoon. The Orioles have turned 60-6-0 double plays this season, the most in the major leagues. So, there's that. Now, that sounds good, but you got to then ask yourself, why are there so many men on base to turn those double plays? You're thinking too deeply about it. Just take the silver lining and run with it. Matt, I don't want to shock you, but thinking too deeply is not something of which I am often accused. <laughs> I suffer from that same problem. Well, can I shift this over to, to yet another tweet here? Uh, this one coming from Justin McGuire at JM McGuire MLB, who tweets, Went to a dog park today and met a dog named Jeter. He had trouble moving to his left. <laughs> Justin's an enjoyable listen uh, on his Locked on Orioles podcast. He's also very funny on Twitter. Um, there's a saying that they use regarding comedy uh, related to the White House Correspondents' Dinner where they say, Singe, don't burn. 
And what I found on Twitter is that, well, sometimes Justin singes and sometimes he just outright burns. But either way, I'm here for it. So nice work, Mr. McGuire. All right. I got a bone to pick with you. Are you advertising for other podcasts here on Bird's Eye View? I was told that I would not be censored, that I could speak freely. Uh, and so I will do so, my friend. Well, if you uh, would like to turn listeners away from this shoddy program to better podcasts like the uh, Locked On Orioles podcast, then you'll fit right in with Scott and I. Mark, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Malonis of the Here 50 pro- Project, that's at Hit It Here 50, um, he tweeted an emoji thumbs up followed by the message hashtag 20, hashtag Frank Robinson, hashtag legend. Uh, and with that, he had an image of an actual thumbs up in front of the number 20 that sits outside Gate H on Utah Street. Now, Mark has done some really cool stuff to honor Frank Robinson, Robinson and uh, his historic Mother's Day home run there on uh, 1966 that winked all the way out of Memorial Stadium. Um, he honored the 50th anniversary of that home run with a flag raising on the very spot um, there where Memorial Stadium used to stand. Um, and his efforts, of course, take on, a, I think, a renewed importance with the beginning, um, or this being, rather, this the first season after the judge's passing. So I uh, just want to say good on you, Mark, and thanks for your effort to keep Orioles history alive, especially the uh, Orioles history there around Frank Robinson. Here, here. Uh, the next tweet I want to go to is one from the Baltimore Orioles, who, of course, tweet at Orioles. Um, it's actually, you know, it's a it's a thread. It starts off with a tweet that says off to Texas. And there's a picture of what the Orioles eventually started calling hashtag dress like Kashner day. Uh, apparently, uh, Andrew Kashner, in addition to having an absurd beard, uh, is a proud Texan of the most Texan variety. And so as the Orioles uh, go off to play a series in Texas and then a series uh, in Texas, uh, some of his teammates join him in the celebration of the, the culture and fashion of Texas and have basically cowboyed it up. So lots of nice pictures there of, of some of your Orioles' favorites of the 2019 squad um, doing their best to show solidarity, I think, uh, with their teammate. It's it's worth a look. Go check it out. I love Dress Like Kashner Day, uh, and if I were better prepared, I would have uh, a long series of Friday Night Lights-related puns for this, but instead I'll just say Texas Forever. And uh, speaking of TV shows, uh, let's flip on over here to Dominic Lombardozzi. Uh, some may also know him as Herc. From the wire, and he tweeted on Sunday, 17 years ago today, hashtag The Wire premiered on at HBO and laid the foundation for many friendships. I still hold dear, hashtag Wire family. Um, so, other than the uh, misspelling of the word laid, uh, I did like this tweet uh, in part because I love The Wire. Uh, so, that would make it worth sharing alone. Um, I think it also should be mentioned, however, the famous scene with Kirk and Carver for fans of the show, the classic Orioles related scene where after much goading, Kirk decides that uh, he would have sympathy um, relations, shall we say, uh, one guy, one act, one time uh, with catcher Gus Triandos from the Orioles. 
Um, so that was a, a funny moment on the show. And, and since I was doing some promotion of other podcasts just a short while ago, I'm going to do some self-promotion now, if that's okay, Jake. Oh, please do. So on this theme of, of The Wire and the related theme of Gus Triandos, um, it allows me an opportunity to reference one of my proudest Twitter moments, which was August 5th, 2015, to be specific, um, when Wire creator David Simon actually quote tweeted me uh, for a reference I made to Chris Davis tying Gus Triandos on the Orioles career home run list. Now, David Simon is not uh, a follower of mine, and I don't think he is out searching for uh, Gus Triandos references. Um, instead, uh, credit for the moment goes to a, a diehard Orioles fan who is active on Twitter and a quite enjoyable follow if you're not doing so already. Uh, that's Julie Saxenmeyer, at Julie Sachs. She shared my original tweet with uh, with David Simon, so thanks, Julie. I, I appreciate that, and uh, this ends the self-promotion, at least for now. Yeah, I think that that's foolish. Um, you should not stop at all at any time during the show, the self-promotion, if we can do nothing else in this podcast than turn eyes toward your fantastic contributions to Orioles' new media, then, uh, then it will be a successful, successful run. And with that, let's, uh, let's go ahead, take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll go around the bases. Here we go. It's time to go around the bases. Usually the way this works is that Scotty and I get together, we huddle around the mics, we put together a show, we record it, we get it out there, and then as soon as we do, the Orioles do something interesting. I mean, it happens time and time and time again. And you would think that we would be better about figuring that out and maybe moving recording to another night, but no, we're stubborn and we're bad at this. But tonight... Tonight, the Orioles have done us a solid, and so, for first base, let's talk about the draft. Now, with the first overall pick in the 2019 first player draft, the Baltimore Orioles selected Adley Rushman of uh, Oregon State, a catcher. Uh, I think we know something about drafting catchers. Um, But before we go any further to talk about Adley Rushman, um, Matt, let's just get something out of the way. Can we acknowledge that very few people uh, know anything about the MLB draft? I think that's fair to say, and I think that uh, a good way to look at it is to say the hotter the take about the draft, the less informed the take artist likely is. Okay, okay. I'm just going to say right from the top here, there's probably going to be some baseless opinion involved. Sorry about that. But it's very on brand. Um, So... There was some talk about the O's not going after Rutschman or Witt um, and perhaps saving some money to get uh, still a, a good player and maybe Andrew Vaughn, um, the first baseman from, from California, or C.J. Abrams, uh, a shortstop from uh, some high school in, in Georgia. Uh, but they they did it. They got the uh, the consensus pick. What are your feelings on on the first uh, draft pick this evening? 
Well, I'll say personally, I, I didn't expect uh, to be as excited as I was when I officially got the news. Um, it, it was exciting, and it was nice to have something to be excited about with the Orioles. Um, I, I do want to say, though, I, I found it interesting leading up to the draft, uh, looking on Twitter and, and lots of passion around it and, and an expectation almost that, hey, the Orioles are going to blow this. And I guess some of it comes from the comments that – that Elias made there the the other day um, about you know kind of four guys being in play and they're still thinking through it and so then it you know generates all sorts of discussions about what's actually going on but there seemed to be this expectation that the Orioles are going to blow it they're going to mess this up and I find that ironic in that really the the kind of the key thinking that that much of the Twitterverse the Orioles Twitterverse has taken with this new regime is that old hashtag trust the process and it occurred to me that. We don't actually trust the process. We expected same old Orioles here. Um, and, you know, we got, got something different in that they, you know, they played the, um, the hand that seemed to be the, the safest and, and wisest one there. Uh, but I do find it interesting that as we proclaim that we trust the process, I'm not sure that we do. I think this, this fan base is, uh, still a, a little schemish after, after, you know, a long past that, that took away that trust. Sure. I think that one of the interesting things, and Scotty and I have talked about this in the past, is what does the first pick represent? Um, and I think in many ways it represents the 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 um, the cosmetic aspect of the draft, the the cosmetic portion of the draft. And really, from here on out, round two through forty, this is where the real work is done in actually turning around the franchise, right? Because if Rutschman turns into the next Harper, great. That's fantastic. That's awesome. But that doesn't fix the organization, right? And so the Orioles, and if they're going to get good, they have to hit in rounds two and five and seven and 11, right? They have to have good players all up and down. And for the first time, I actually believe that this team can not only select quality players in those rounds, um, but also develop them. And to the point where they're, you know, taking the shotgun approach, getting quantity and quality, even if the quality is, is not, you know, a surefire Hall of Famer, okay. But maybe that's not really what we need right now. Well, and I think you make a good point, and, and I'm, I'm on board with that. And I think really, if, say, say this does work out. Say that, uh, you know, he does become, you know, kind of there's been this comparison with, you know, uh, forget the exact terminology, but Bryce Harper's name is dropped in there as kind of the, the surest thing, you know, since Harper. So say it works out and, and he's, you know, everything that we've expected and, and more, you know, the, the current regime, I don't think necessarily will get a lot of credit for that because then the thinking becomes, oh, this was a no brainer, right? Like everyone knew that this was the guy. You couldn't have messed this up. Uh, and so that's where the work in the later rounds does, you know, does become so important. But I think one of the things that you said that that really sticks out to me, and it's kind of been in my mind with what will be different uh, with this current regime, and it, it's that word development, um, because it's not, you know, there's there's obviously the the most obvious side of getting the right players in the system, both the seemingly obvious picks, but then also all those guys that are under the radar. Um, but that development piece is really key, and it's something that. The Orioles have been known not to do well um, in the past, uh, and there are suggestions that that's perhaps already changing, that, that we are getting systems in, in place to, to develop uh, players. And um, But I think that really is a, is a big part of it, too. So it's it's not only, for me, of, of 
what's done in those later rounds, but then also what are we doing to develop those guys um, at the minor leagues and really get them prepared for success at the at the major league level. Uh, the Orioles have the second most slot money available to them at about just under $14 million. What does that mean? Why do we care about $13 million in the bank? And and this is not my, my area of expertise, but the, the little reading that I've, I've done with it, especially as they talked about would they go with kind of an unconventional uh, first pick here, um, it's, you know, you, you have that that money to, to spend on um, on signing bonuses. And so uh, if, if we get someone that uh, maybe is reluctant to sign or is asking for more money uh, toward the top of that draft, then that makes it more difficult to, to sign guys later. So kind of you know, maneuvering that money around and, and using it in a way that uh, we can not only sign our, our top pick, but but other picks further around and, and perhaps how that in, even influences selections. Is, is there someone that's you know, potentially not going to sign or going to, to demand more in the, the bonus money. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think it, it's one of the things with the, the MLB draft and, you know, you, you raise that question of you know, what, what do people really know about it? I was reading a, a Dan Connolly um, column this week uh, from the athletic and um, he even kind of mentioned, um, you know, made, made reference to the fact of, um, the, the kind of the lack of expertise in, in the fan base, when especially when people start talking about the draft and, and what the Orioles should do and, and how some of those things um, become things that aren't even possible under the, the structure. And I think that all contributes to the idea that in addition to being very difficult to project who's going to be successful um, at the major league level, uh, there, there's also this piece of it that you know, that the draft is is a little more arcane than than other drafts. You know, if you compare it to something like a, a you know, NBA draft, where it's you know you've got these guys that are are huge names that people have seen on TV, that you know there's a feeling that they could be a difference maker, and you don't need as many difference makers to to you know, see your fortunes improve. It's a little more obvious, um, and you know, I think probably of you know I. I don't necessarily follow all the major sports and their, their drafts that closely, but I think, you know, the, the baseball draft could probably stand out there as one of the more arcane and difficult to follow and, um, you know, not as, not as exciting. It's not like you see people out there, uh, you know, at, at the draft cheering and, and getting excited. You know, it's, um, it's not the event that, that some other sports uh, are, but I think it's more of a draft that's fun in retrospect because you really get to see some, some interesting patterns develop there. Um, and I think probably that that's something that is unique about the MLB draft is, is you can kind of look back and, and see where things came together and then see those players who weren't the top picks that, you know, you, you think about, wow, how how did that you know guy get missed? You know, how did he fall to such a, a late position? So I think that the, the the fun of the MLB draft almost comes much after the fact. You know, you talk about the arcane nature of the uh, of the MLB draft, and I agree with you. But maybe that needs to impact the way that we celebrate um, the the MLB draft. I have an idea here. It's crazy. Hear me out. I think that we should have a old fashioned draft party uh, for the MLB draft. I'm thinking um, cucumber sandwiches, perhaps some port wine, a nice game of croquet out on the lawn, followed by the first round of the MLB draft, and uh, you know a grand old time. Clearly formal attire, uh, and nothing less would do. Um, but if we're going to follow this grand old game, one that is 
you know, struggling, uh, if you if you listen to the reports, struggling to uh, connect with the millennials. Maybe maybe we need to, uh, you know, maybe we need to just lean into that. You had me at cucumber sandwiches. Let me. <laughs> Um, would it be more appropriate uh, for me to wear my monocle or my straw hat or maybe both? Um, okay, so we've got this this new uh, player in the organization. He is a college uh, catcher. That's fantastic. I'm curious as to what that says, right? Because the first two uh, obvious picks were Rutschman, a college catcher, and uh, Bobby Witt Jr., who is a, a, a high school player. Is there anything to, to read into the tea leaves about the selection of a college player that tells us anything about the, the timing? Does it tell us anything about what we think the turnaround of the franchise is going to look like? Or does it tell us anything about a reasonable timetable for him to make the majors? Or am I just trying to read too much into too little? I, I think there's probably a little bit of, a, of trying to read in too much to too little. But I, I'll say this, that you know I, I watched a, a clip of um, you know, the beginning of the draft and, and they had uh, Rutschman's college coach on there. Uh, and, you know, he was, of course, pouring out the, the accolades. Um, but he, he'd mentioned like, hey, this is a guy that you'll see, um, you know, in the majors. And, and I want to say he said, um, was it 2021, 20, maybe say 22. I thought it was 20. It was very quick. Um, and that kind of piqued my my interest there in terms of you know it's obviously this college coach he, he thinks great great things about him but it, it did put me on to that question of how soon uh, can we expect to to see this guy um at the at the major league level and um you know what that means for the 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 rebuild it, itself i mean um you, know, you, you you can start to have fun thinking about like well let's say if he were you know maybe not two years but let's say he was a three years and, and getting regular time. Who else might we see? I mean, there's been a lot of talk at the minor league level this year. And granted, it's a lot of the lower levels, but the, the pitching that's, that's been there. So it's like, well, yeah, maybe in a few years, those guys are coming up. So is, is there something to be excited about there? Certainly not, you know, contention in the division, but you know, with the second wild card, yeah, maybe why, why not? Um, and I like to think that way just in terms of, Hey, there might actually be something for me to be genuinely excited about uh, within two or three years um, rather than just the, the long haul of you know, you know, years like this year and, and maybe more hundred lost seasons um, as part of the, the blueprint to future success. I think it'll be interesting to see where he gets placed because to be honest with you, if he gets placed in uh, low level single a Delmarva, a team that is already just crushing, it would be really cool to see that crop of players come up together. Um, because, you know, the best hope we have is at that level right now. And I'm not saying that as a team stacked with future major leaguers, but it's as close as we got. Um, so it should be interesting. Well, I don't, I'll say that. You know, I, I think back, as you say that, to all the pictures that they showed of, you know, of Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope when they were playing in the minors together. And I wouldn't have known it at the time, but you look back and you like that and think, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, it's cool that they were coming up together. Um, the one guy I feel for in all this, I mean, Chance Cisco called up, you know, been, been raking there <laughs> at Norfolk. And now it's like, you know, the immediate buzzkill to your, your call up is, Hey, you know, you got someone else uh, breathing down your neck. Do you hear the, the footsteps yet? Um, so I, I also wonder for him if uh, what what that sort of selection means. Yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. 
Um, last thing about the draft, and then we'll go on to the second base here. Um, just think, we get to do this again next year. Uh, the 2018 Orioles, not so good. We may be looking at a number one first overall pick in next year's draft. Um, so we'll get to do a lot of analysis and, a, and we'll have a lot of body of work to judge this Elias regime on as far as their drafting. Well, I'm going to work on um, getting uh, a, a good recipe for cucumber sandwiches. I'm going to buy a straw hack all in anticipation of the bird's eye view spectacular for next year's draft. And I do think along those lines, um, let's let's give a debt of gratitude to the 2018 Orioles, who, as we all know, could have been a playoff team, uh, but they realized their window was closing and that many of them would not be in the uniform much longer. So they banded together and thought of the future of the franchise and said, let's you know have an all-time historic losing season in order to set this team up better for the future. So I just want to say that thank you as we wrap up this segment that, that I really do appreciate what those guys so unselfishly did last year to make this moment possible. You're right. They could have been a playoff contender in the Eastern League. Uh, second base. All right. Well, let's move over on to second base as we go around the bases here. And I want to talk about Friday's game. Um, there have been so many ugly games this season and because of that, I feel like we should we should treat ourselves, right? We should have a treat yourself day sometimes. Um, so Friday's game was simply too good not to talk about, and I'm going to get all the good feels in. So, Matt, did you see Friday's game? Well, first let me say I love a good treat yourself reference. Um, and I will add to the excitement by saying I did not see the game, but allow me to provide some context. Here. This wasn't just fan apathy. Um, I was in, you know, baseball's greatest city, right? The, the greatest baseball city in America, uh, St. Louis, this weekend, catching up with uh, former Orioles Matt Weeders and, and Dexter Fowler, uh, former Oriole almost. Uh, <laughs> but it was a unique experience in that, you know, I, I it got to, you know, the mid to later innings of, of that Cardinals-Cubs game. It's a, you know, 1-1 pitcher's duel. Um, and I'm checking the, the Orioles score on my phone, uh, and I see, oh, good, you know, we got an 8-6 eight, eight, lead. This is great. Um, and then, you know, Renato Nunez homers, and so I send a text to my dad, um, hey, you know, Renato Nunez with another home run, um, Orioles lead 9-6, and say, oh, you know, they were five runs down, at which point, you know, I glance back you know, at the at the box score and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> I started out as, you know, spotting them five runs, a five nothing deficit. And by the bottom of the first, it's six to five. And uh, so I, I'm I'm sad that it, that I missed it. Uh, I enjoyed my time there in, in, in St. Louis. But um, this was a fun one to not be able to, to experience uh, as it was happening, although I will say that. In the current state of affairs, I've got to be honest and say when those five runs went up in the top of the first, I may not have still had the broadcast on. So so kudos to you, who I'm assuming you, you had it on and you experienced all of that. I was at a uh, I was at a dinner party and I will not say that it was the focal point of a great deal of the evening, uh, but we were delighted when it happened. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool game. Um, it. it doesn't matter much in the grand scheme of things. It's not a turning point. It's not a signature win. It it won't spur them on to anything else. Uh, but I will say that it, it's kind of cool to see a team that has its brains beat out on a regular basis. 
um, you know, throughout the season and was having its brains beat in in that game. Um, and they didn't give up, right? So it, it, I think that says good things about uh, the character of the guys, which means nothing. I think it says good things about uh, the quality of the the environment that Brandon Hyde uh, sets, which, again, means next to nothing. Uh, but it, it's good. It's a good sign that a team that is this bad is not giving up, rolling over, and going through the motions when they get their nose bloodied to the point of spotting the other team five runs. I, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, and I'll say it's, it's been a curiosity for me almost from the start of the season where, you know, all of the talk has been so negative, and it's all about how bad these are going to be, to the point that, yeah, I, I had a uh, my college roommate texted me uh, before the first uh, series with the Yankees, um, and and you know he you know, likes to give me a, a hard time uh, about about the Orioles. He's a Mets fan, so he can't give me that hard of a time. But um, you know, he texted and said, "Man, I, I usually root for the New York teams, but it's been brutal the way they're talking about." You know, the Orioles, like they're a minor league outfit up out here. So he's even noticing that's ridiculous. But I wonder, like, what is the, the mentality of a first year manager of these players where it's like basically everyone's telling you, you suck, right? Like you, you and not only that, but your job is to lose as part of this big plan so that they can build from these draft picks and, and these terrible performances. And and I guess that's one of the things that, you know, if you look for a, a bright spot, we mentioned, you know, the idea of silver linings uh, earlier, but just the, the fact that, you know, there's something to be said that um, even though they, they are going to lose a ton and, and look terrible on paper, that there are moments like this and there are um, guys that, uh, you know, you, you don't expect. I know uh, Mark Viviano always likes to uh, do this thing on Twitter where he talks about the, the notion of guys quitting and, you know, how ridiculous that is that professional athletes don't quit and that sort of thing. But, you know, it, you know you're going to be bad. You're losing all these games. It's got to be miserable so often. But here these guys are, are still having games like this. Um, and, and I think giving you something to at least say like, Hey, the guys, guys care. And, you know, you, you said it mean, means nothing. And, you know, we talk about character and that sort of thing. And yeah, maybe in, in the big picture, it, it doesn't mean a lot, but, um, it, it at least makes it a little more digestible, I think, as a, as a fan who's going to be with the team, uh, regardless of, of who's out there to say like, yeah, you know, a moment like this helps, you know, it's, it's nice after so many blown saves, so many bad losses to actually have one and, and say, yeah, maybe only one of, of, of 50, uh, you know, maybe 60 if we're lucky, but, um, but it, it feels good. Um, and it's, it's nice to have a feel good moment, uh, here and there. Well, you missed, you missed, uh, two things not watching this game and I'm just going to list them out in order of importance. Uh, first and foremost, you missed watching Dwight Smith senior, uh, being featured on the Masson broadcast, enjoying his son's first Major League uh, Baseball Grand Slam. That that's cool. Um, and while we put all these players uh, on you know on the team that maybe don't quite belong in the majors, we're also getting the opportunity of seeing Sarah Perlman uh, interview their parents. Um, and it just you know makes me think back to Trey Mancini's mom uh, celebrating and, and things of that nature. That's that's a cool. A cool thing to watch. Secondly, um, there is nobody that watched Andrew Kashner throw 46 pitches in the first inning and give up five runs that didn't think about that game versus uh, the Pirates where um, Chris Tillman uh, threw a million pitches in the first inning. Uh, that was the first thing I thought of, and uh, it was so weird that he did that. The Orioles got behind, 
And then he ended up throwing five innings and getting the win. Nuts. That is just one of those, like, can't predict ball moments. I, I actually had a, a um, you know, informal bet uh, on that came about on Twitter when I, I, I tweeted that I was going to be at, uh, at the game in St. Louis and that, uh, you know, I'm putting the over-under for how long my two kids last at four and a half innings. And, and someone tweeted back and said, uh, you know, well, who's going to make it longer tonight? Kashner you know, or your kids? <laughs> Which I thought was a very... Uh, a very good observation, good good bet to make. Um, and uh, I took my kids. Uh, he took Kashner, uh, and it turns out amazingly that uh, that my kids lasted longer than Kashner. But with that said, especially given that start, that uh, that Kashner um, to get through five is 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 pretty uh, pretty impressive, and it beats that four and a half inning under over under that I had for my own kids. And, and just to your point there about the parents, I think that's cool. And I also saw the thing that uh, they did with um, the interview they were doing with, with Dwight Smith Jr. and then surprised him with his dad coming in. And that, that stuff's cool. And you know, I was looking at some stuff about Trey Mancini in the past couple days. Um, and, and I think it was on his baseball reference page and it, you know, going back to his first call up and then seeing that hot start. I mean, that that's actually what came to mind. I was like, oh, that's right. He had that hot start. And I thought of, you know, his mom in the stands cheering. And and so, I mean, that, that's kind of cool to have that associated with it. Um, and, and kudos to, to Masson and the folks there, Sarah Perlman and others for, you know, for finding those fun angles. And, and, you know, it can't be easy to, um, to do that. And, and, you know, they are, they are having some fun with it. And, you know, even with the team being so bad, I mean, I think back to when, the Orioles were so bad and, um, you know, Dave Johnson was, uh, was, was on a broadcast while they were, you know, announcing his son was coming up to, uh, you know, to pitch for the Orioles. And, and that was a, a special moment that I guess, what was it? I wasn't being called up as well. I think when they traded for him. Um, yes. and, and it was, it was just cool. You know, like you heard the emotion there. It clearly caught him a little off, off guard, but, um, it's nice to be reminded, you know, that there are some uh, human beings behind the, the game and that, um, you know, we see outside salaries and all this sort of thing. But that at the end of the day, these, you know, these are our, our parents, their kids and, and a lifetime of work. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I, I think as a parent myself, I'm, you know, I don't have a, a superstar, um, you know, baseball player or anything like that. But I think about like how many games that these parents must have carted their kids to and tournaments and dealt with all the ups and downs and the craziness. And it's like, that's really got to be something. So it's cool to see, um, you know, to see that. And then to see a guy that that's a former major leaguer, that's still so excited, right. That it's still, that's my boy doing it. So those are, those are definitely uh, cool angles on it. All right. Uh, I don't think there's anything more I can squeeze out of the emotions out of Friday night. So do me a favor, take us to third base, would you? Oh, that's something I've not heard very often in my life. All right. So um, on third base, let's talk a little bit about uh, a minor league call up. So I, I made reference to you know Chance Cisco earlier and kind of the, the buzzkill big moment for him being uh, called up and then uh, his, you know, um, you know, footsteps that are that are going to be behind him now. But so we've got Chance Cisco that gets the call up that, uh, you know, there was some disappointment there when he was not promoted um you know out of out of spring training and um now you know he goes down he he rakes there at uh at norfolk and and he's back although you know focus more on defense than the the bat um so 
let's start with that. Like, what do you think about the, the chance Cisco call up, um, you know, following the Austin wins demotion and, and, um, what should we be feeling uh, about chance Cisco and looking for there? Well, I, I think to your point earlier, uh, chance Cisco is now on borrowed time a little bit. Uh, so here, every moment counts before I, I didn't think that it really mattered who, broke with the club. I thought if Chan Cisco needed more time to develop, that he could get it. Uh, but now he needs to make the most of his time with the majors for two reasons. Uh, first, because he wants to be the catcher, or he wants to be the left fielder, or wherever it is that he lands, uh, for the Baltimore Orioles. And if not, he wants to have a really good audition for 29 other clubs that may want to trade for him. And that works out for him, and it works out for the Orioles. So this time... And every other time that he spends in the majors from here on out, I think, is super important. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting that, you know, I feel like there's a certain cycle to uh, the fan experience with a losing team. And I say this as someone, you know, who's been through the dark ages and, and kind of was still following the team and, and seeing the cycle take place. But at some point in that cycle, there's always that um, that call for the young guys. Right. And. We saw it, uh, I think, earlier than expected this year, but that feeling that, okay, I'm, I'm fed up and I, I just want to see the young talent, you know, give me the young guys that, that give me some reason for hope that are going to work hard. And usually when you see it in past years, it's because, you know, especially during those, the, the dark ages of, of, of 14 straight losing seasons, you saw, you know, teams that were laden with, with veterans past their prime guys. And this this feeling that oh they you know they don't care they're not giving us anything give me the young guy that that that's you know wor- working to earn his spot and they care so much can't say that as much this year because as we just talked about that there's a feeling that these guys are still grinding <clears throat> whether they should be at the major league level or not they're grinding and and, and trying to you know you know keep that position that they've got um, but earlier than expected I, I've, I've sensed this call for bring up the young guys bring up the young guys and. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? And, and is this, you know, a, a potential opening now where we say, okay, there's Ryan Mountcastle, right? Three homer day on Sunday. He's, he's now raking it at AAA. Should, you know, should he come up sometime soon? Would, would that, uh, would that be a good thing? So what do you think about that? And, and what would be the purpose of, of bringing up more young guys beyond, uh, beyond just Cisco. At this point, I think the only reason to bring somebody up to the majors is because they have nothing to learn at the minors and they need the major league experience. Or if the major league experience is part of their uh, growth process. Otherwise, I'm not saying that uh, service time is a factor. What I am saying is that they're not going to help this club win because nothing could help this club win. So otherwise, there's no purpose of them being here. If, it, if it's, you know, get them a cup of coffee and get them, uh, you know, acclimated to the, the show, great. Okay, fantastic. And, you know, it's nice for the fans to be able to see what's coming up next. Uh, but frankly, I just don't think anything that happens on the field in the majors matters in 2019. That sounds harsh. But I would much rather them get everything else right. Um, and, you know, so unlike every other season where I've been desperately hoping for the hope over the horizon, uh, I, I don't want to ruin the hope uh, because we've seen that happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something 
Um, it's probably a strong word to use, but, but I'll use it anyway. I think there's something disingenuous when, when there is this call for young guys, especially when it's made in, in lieu of, you know, I'll, I'll watch more or I'll go to the ballpark. Um, and it's just not, it's not true. Um, and I think that, you know, there, there is something to be excited about, you know, when, when you've got a name that you recognize that you've heard about coming up, um, you know, a little bit of a shot in the arm, a little bit of a jolt, but, that passes so quickly. And, and I wonder here, and I'll ask you um, to kind of close out third base here is, is DJ Stewart a, a cautionary tale at all for us? Because there was some excitement about, about him being called up and, you know, he gets three hits right out of the gate and, you know, stealing bases and all right, here's DJ Stewart. And then an extended slump. And, you know, that's to be expected. That's a guy learning to play at the major league level. But in terms of that excitement shot in the arm, Hey, here's a young guy. Like, does how quickly does does that pass so is is there anything in the the dj stewart promotion that's a cautionary tale as we think about other guys being promoted or is it actually an example of yeah this is what's going to happen but this is the learning as you say that needs to take place and and now's the time to do it yeah i'm not sure if dj stewart is a great example for me or maybe i'm not a good example to talk about uh, with the dj stewart experience I didn't really believe that much in DJ Stewart. And so I, I think the more cautionary tale is the Brian Mattis, right? I think the more cautionary tale is the Jake Arietta. Can this organization bring up players that should be a no-brainer, can't-miss player and turn them into a productive major league player, or can't they? Um, that's what I'm looking for. DJ Stewart is at best going to be a complimentary player in the majors. And so if he doesn't amount to anything, it's not that great a loss. But at this point, we need to decide who are the players that may matter. And then does playing time in the majors provide a meaningful part of that development? And if yes, great. And I'm excited to see it. And if not, it's just more biding time. And I think preaching preaching patience, it's easier said than done. And I, that's why it's, it has been so intriguing to me to see the call for the young guys, because you know, we, we claim we trust the process. We, we claim that, you know, we know that this is uh, this is going to take years and we believe where it's going. Yet there is a, a certain impatience still. Um, and I think this probably is it's at least one season, but maybe, you know, maybe uh, another in there next year. Um, where it's really just kind of taking your wounds and watching guys that you know aren't going to be there you know, when this thing gets turned around and that, you know, that, that you're cheering almost out of just out of a reflex more than anything else. Um, but that, that, that's part of it, right? That we do really have to, to wait and be patient and that, um, you know, if we do trust this process, we also trust that, yeah, some of these guys that are, are being assigned to the, the, the minors and, and, and surprising us with that or, or that are staying there longer than we might be expected, that there is some thinking behind that. And this is part of a, a long-term plan. Um, so with that said, we'll, we'll close out third base. And, and why don't you bring us on home there, Jake? All right, let me ask you this very simple question. It's a this or that. It's an either or. Uh, tell me, which has been a worse experience for you the losing of 2018 or the losing of 2019? The losing of 2018. I had expectations in 2018. Uh, I had none for 2019. And that's not to say that 2019 is fun, but um, the, the expectations are the biggest part of it. And then from there, it's just you know believing in, in the structure they have in place and that this is actually uh, leading toward 
something that this is part of a plan um, so I can can take it a little bit easier. So I'll then return the question to you, uh, which has been worse for you, 2018 or 2019? Um, I agree in principle that 2018 was worse. I did not have great expectations for 2018. I didn't think that the Orioles were a playoff contender. Um, so I thought it was kind of a, a wasted season just from the get-go. And then it was worse than I could have possibly imagined, right? So uh, I thought they would not be good. I didn't think they would be historically bad. Um, That having been said, 2018 kind of turned into a train wreck from which I could not look away. It was a season in which they lost 115 games, and I just couldn't comprehend that, right? Like, I had seen bad years. I had seen a generation of bad years, but I hadn't seen this. There was some novelty to it, and now with 2019, I find a difficulty of engaging with the season because now it's not new. Yeah, it doesn't hurt as much, but it's also not even it's not even a roadside accident. Interesting. Yeah, there's there's something to be said for that. You make a good point. I mean, there was a, a certain quality to 2018 um, where it, it was it was difficult to look away, and it was especially um, you know, as things turned south, and and you wonder like, could, could this stay this bad? Could this keep getting worse? And and there was uh, a shock value and and kind of that that car accident quality where you don't want to look, but you you do. Um, so I, I'll give you that 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 certainly added to to some engagement there. Um, and you know I can't say that you know I'm, I'm sitting down to you know, to listen to every broadcast in 2019. I do follow the the score, even if I'm not not listening, like I was doing there in, in St. Louis. Um, you know, that the, I still want to know kind of how the game's going and um, and that sort of thing. But um, you know, I guess there there isn't that same quality to it where there's there's a, a shock value or you know a, a, a kind of looking in, in in awe of oh my gosh, what is what is happening here. Um, but, um, I, I, again, for, for me, it just, it, it comes back to that feeling of, of, you know, maybe not expecting 2018 to, to be a big season or, or even be a contender, but just shocked at how bad it, it was and looking at times and saying, wait, this, this team has Manny Machado, right? And, and, and you can add other names on that list where it's like, wow, like, how are they this bad? Um, and I guess in, in terms of, of, of your point though, with 2018, there was also that feeling of, Staying engaged, especially leading up to that trade deadline, right? Because that's like, oh, big things are afoot here. Um, and and 2019, we don't have that, right? There's there's some questions. Oh, are we going to trade a Mancini, or are we going to get anything? But um, we just hit our ha- high point with the draft, and, and there's not much else that that on the face of it is is engaging um, in and of itself. All right. Well, we've gone all the way around the bases. Let's take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, let's get into that weird Freaky Friday situation. Matt 
graciously agreed to give up his Monday evening so that I wouldn't be left talking to myself, I asked him if he had any topics he'd like to discuss for the podcast. And he offered up the following idea, which, if it sounds like it's stolen directly from a roar from 34 post, it'll fit right in with our regular Bird's Eye View content. Well, Jake, I've been uh, as good at posting content on Roar from 34 so far this season, about as good as the Orioles have been uh, about closing out baseball games. I've, Woof. I guess you could say I've kind of become the Michael Givens of, uh, of Orioles bloggers. I'm simply not getting the job done. Um, but with that in mind, I've, I've decided to bring a concept that I've had for a blog post to Bird's Eye View this week. And, and I've been thinking about this since, well... I guess you could say pretty much the start of the season, so that tells you how it's going for me. Um, so again, a reminder, I've sucked at blogging this season. Um, but anyway, here's the question that, that's been on my mind and I thought would make for a good topic for a blog post, but instead we'll address it here. If you could add any player from Orioles history to this year's team, who would it be? Now, to be clear, I'm talking about bringing back guys in their prime. So, if you were to say Brooks Robinson, you get a young, spry Brooksy, not the 82-year-old version who's pimping Trey Mancini all-star shirts from the club level at Camden Yards. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love 82-year-old Brooks, but I wouldn't want to see him at the hot corner. Uh, Probably wouldn't be worse. Probably would not be worse. <laughs> also, also, it can be assumed uh, that any player uh, that you may be thinking of who is no longer living would be alive for the purposes of this scenario. So this is not a weekend at Bernie's type sequel at, at Camden Yard. So does all that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. And I applaud the weekend at Bernie's reference. <laughs> so as I've thought about this question, I have gotten stuck. Um, and, and the sticking point for me has been this. On one hand, there are guys that I would want on the field in 2019 for their greatness. On the other hand, there are guys I would want on the field simply because they're entertaining characters. So I'm going to propose that we do both. Are you game for that, Jake? Oh, I think shtick will fit in bird's eye view. Yeah, we, we can do that. Okay, so let's start the shtick then. So first, I propose we're going to select our top three Orioles, who we would want on the field in 2019, simply for the opportunity to see them play. We're talking greatness in action here. So I'll get us started uh, you know, moving from the bottom up. So my third pick uh, for a guy that if I could bring him back in his primed and put him on the 2019 Orioles just for the opportunity to see greatness in action uh, would be Orioles center fielder Paul Blair. Mm. And I got thinking about Blair um, earlier this season, I, I was in a conversation, a discussion about you know how to best honor Adam Jones and kind of his place uh, in Orioles history, and, and Paul Blair's name came up. Um, and, and the more that I've I've heard about Blair and and read about Blair, uh, you hear about his defense in in center field and how amazing he was. And so for me, uh, to add a guy like Paul Blair to this year's team would would make it a little more worth watching. Uh, to see him roam center field and to see what uh, what he could do there. Uh, so my third pick um, for this kind of greatness in action portion of the discussion would be Paul Blair. Okay, fantastic. Um, it's possible that I didn't understand the approach here because I, I feel like my, my picks take a slightly different turn. Um, so let me just say this. 
one of the clear problems with the Baltimore Orioles this year is the bullpen. They just they can't hold it together. They have no talent back there, but beyond that, they have no leadership. And when I think of bullpens that can't hold it together, when I think of bullpens that have no talent, I feel like we need a champion, right? If we're going to be bad, let's be bad. I can't I can't even get angry at this year's uh, bullpen, and I feel like I'm missing something in that experience. And so if I could bring back any Oriole to be on this team, I'm going to go with the protester himself. I'm going to pull back Kevin Gregg just so that I can have somebody that will come in every time. I know what I'm going to get. It's going to be a disaster. And more importantly, I can just let the hate flow, like straight from the dark side of the force, Emperor cackling in the background as I just loathe Kevin Gregg. So he is the player I would like to see back. He's my number three. Nothing says greatness in action quite like Kevin Gregg. Um, he will always hold a, a, a sweet spot for me, though. I mean, if for no other reason than, than the David Ortiz uh, brawl. So, well, so obviously we've taken a little different tact with this. Um, my number two uh, on this kind of greatness in action theme um, would be Jim Palmer. And when I looked at this list and I thought about guys, like obviously one guy is not going to make the difference, just as we talked about with this the draft and the draft process. Right, One guy is not going to make a difference uh, for this team. Um, and we saw the Orioles you know, lose for 14 consecutive losing seasons. And as part of that, they had um, the Ironman, Cal Ripken Jr. And, and that didn't change things, but – um, you, you know, I still meet people now that aren't from Baltimore that are Orioles fans, and it's because Cal Ripken was part of that team. Um, so, with that in mind, I, I think of a guy like like Palmer, and um, certainly would make a difference with the record overall. But just the opportunity to to see Palmer pitch in his prime—that's something um, that. You know, greatest, greatest all time Orioles pitcher, um, you know, one of the handful of Hall of Famers on, on the team. Um, and I would just love the opportunity. I think about in my lifetime pitchers that I've gotten to see, um, that if not great, some, maybe some great, but some touching that greatness, certainly no one like Palmer. I mean, I think about the, the chance I had to watch Mike Mussina during his time in Baltimore. Mike Mussina was not Jim Palmer, but Mike Mussina was a great pitcher. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. And I think about how much I enjoyed watching Mussina's starts. Um, and then I think about the whole next level of, of getting to see Jim Palmer um, out there on the mound. So my number two pick uh, would be Jim Palmer. Okay, great. Um, when we talk about the greatness that is taking place on the field in 2019, I look around and I see that we are desperately scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to come up with an all-star, right? Like, it's clearly going to be Trey Mancini at this point. He's the only guy having anywhere near decent a season. But in that spirit, I feel like maybe we need to embrace that a little bit. And so I would like to bring back 2011 Ty Wigginton. Not good enough to really be an all-star, but good enough to be the guy that gets voted in on pity 
or selected in uh, as a pity pick. I don't want Trey Mancini in there as the pity pick. I want somebody like Ty Wigginton, who is really deserving of being an asterisk and an afterthought. Well, didn't I read something just a few weeks ago that Chris Davis was going to be our all-star? Um, never mind. Um, so I want to say thank you because had I come onto this podcast and we did not get a solid Ty Wigington reference, I, I, I frankly would be a little disappointed. And that, my friend, is a solid Ty Wigington reference. So I want to say thank you. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll move over to, to my number one. Um, and I mentioned, uh, 82 year old Brooks Robinson. Um, but I'm going to take Brooks Robinson in his prime as, as my number one. Um, and I think about, you know, the, the guys that you hear about that you never got a chance to see play that the true greats in Baltimore. And you look at, you know, the hall of famers that the, the Orioles have, have had, um, and I think probably more than anyone else, Brooks Robinson is, is the guy that I would have loved to have seen uh, play live. Um, just, you know, highlight real plays. I, I can remember in middle school, my um, one of the math teachers at my middle school was an usher uh, at Memorial Stadium. And, and he used to periodically show, you know, old World Series videos and, and plays by Brooks Robinson is a big part of those. Um, and I think about the, uh, you know, the, the dads when I was playing, you know, Little League Baseball, that if you got number five, they would be sure to remind you, like, you know, you know who the greatest third baseman is who wore that number, um, the number of, of, you know, kids that are named Brooksy. Um, and now even just to be in an ambassador role, for, you know, for the team. Um, and, and, you know, all you hear about is, is how nice of a human being he is. So, um, I would love to have the chance to, uh, to see Brooks Robinson in his prime play. It's, it's something that, um, I feel, you know, deprived of uh, as a fan to have not had a, a career Oriole at, the, at that level of, of greatness. Um, and if I could, that's the guy that uh, that I would love to bring back, uh, and that I would be tuning in uh, pretty much every night just to see what uh, what Brooksy did at the hot corner. All right. So I've been, you know, I've been kind of. Uh I've been mocking this process, and I, I apologize. I've picked guys that, you know, most people wouldn't think of, names that baseball fans all over the world are not familiar with. I'm going to now go to a name that everybody knows. Um, and this is somebody uh, with whom the baseball world at large is familiar. So say it with me now. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Eddie, you you of course know who I'm talking about, right? Eddie Haskell. <sighs> so close. No, you may you may think it's uh, it's Eddie Murray, but it's not. In fact, I'm going to go with Eddie Goodell. Um, and this is a little bit different a pick. Uh, it's technically a franchise pick, uh, but in um, in the St. Louis Browns organization, Bill Veck, he got something about what baseball is supposed to be. He knew that baseball was supposed to be fun, and his whole approach to the game was that he could sell more tickets for a loser if there was a circus atmosphere, if there was entertainment value, than he could with a losing team that 
just was presented like normal. So Eddie Gazelle is obviously uh, a very famous person in Major League Baseball. Um, for a single at bat, he was uh, he took a walk as being a small person, um, and and has a perfect on base uh, percentage for his career. Uh, now clearly, that's not what I want to see. Uh, I don't want to see exploitative things, but I want to see the Orioles turn to entertainment value. You know, we t- we look at the uh, we look at the theme nights, we look at the giveaways, we look at the barks in the park. The Orioles need to embrace how to write a story that's fun and involve the fans. And so uh, for my for my number one pick, it's uh, Orioles slash Browns franchise player Eddie Gazelle. So first of all, how dare you mock my process on this show? Second of all, well done. That that was a good, solid swerve uh, that that I was not expecting. Um, and I agree that uh, that fun and, and entertainment uh, is is a big part of it. And so that's the next three that I want to go with. Um, three guys that you would select strictly for the entertainment value. They could be good. Heck, they could even be great. Uh, but the reason you're really selecting them is because they would keep you entertained and they would really add some color to your blackened fan heart. So I'll get started. Uh, my number three uh, would be the Demper, Rick Dempsey. Um, and now you know, we see him on the mass and broadcast and their jokes made, you know, but, you know, while playing nice guy, 83 World Series MVP. Uh, great defensive catcher with a strong arm. He was don't run ever before hashtags and Twitter were a thing. Um, but he also had great fun with the game. Um, the references to you know his uh, antics, I think they called it baseball soliloquy and pantomime. Uh, but more popularly, we would just know it as Rick Dempsey out there on the tarp, you know, mimicking players and diving through the wet, wet tarp. Um, fun. Uh, and the fact that uh, that he had a connection with with the fans and with Wild Bill Hagee, um, you know, I, I was reading something recently uh, where Dempsey would say that sometimes he would wave a towel from the, the bullpen as a signal to to Hagee that hey, we need the fans into it. Um, maybe some embellishment, maybe some hyperbole, but still that idea of of fun. Um, and so when I think of color, um, when I think of someone that that would make the game fun. Uh, I think of the Demper. So Rick Dempsey is going to be my number three pick on this side of things. Okay. I, it's possible that I've gotten this wrong again, but I'm going to try. Um, the Orioles infield, not strong, right? We've got uh, first base covered. Davis is a capable uh, defensive first baseman. So is Mancini. Uh, but after that, it's it's just uh, it's trade value, Jonathan VR, and the extras, right? Uh, Rio Ruiz, uh, don't don't be offended, but Renato Nunez, um, you know these are these are players that I'm not uh, Richie Martin, not a huge believer in. Um, so when it comes to the infield, I would like to see Brian Roberts back in it. I would like to turn the Orioles back into the Brian Roberts watch, not even prime Brian Roberts. I think with his salt and pepper look and his ability now to look light straight in the eye that he could probably be, uh, improvement's the wrong word, uh, he could add a, a different something to the play on the field and uh, no less entertaining 
Uh, I love Brian Roberts. Watching him play in his prime, uh, particularly for some really terrible Orioles teams, uh, was just the highlight of my fandom for so long. I'm delighted that he's back with the organization in a broadcasting role, but hey, he can't be worse than any of these cats. Strap it back on, get him on the infield, let's see it Let's see it happen. Brian Roberts, who was termed by a, a fan on Twitter as, as a Yankee. <laughs> right, right. Noted, noted Yankee, Brian Roberts. Ugh. Yeah, we, we have a fun fan base. So, um, moving on to the number two selection. For me, this, this is strictly personal. Um, and there are probably very few people uh, that would like the selection. It would not add color. It would, in fact, further blacken uh, their already dark fan hearts. Um, and some would even say, well, that's what we have in Chris Davis. Why uh, suffer anymore? But um, to those folks, I simply say Sam Horn, Sam Horn, Sam Horn. I loved Sam Horn as a player. Not because he was particularly good, but because uh, as a younger fan, Sam Horn hit baseballs when he did hit them. Um, <laughs> he hit them hard and he hit them far and it was entertaining. And so I would love to see a Sam Horn in his prime, which who knows really when that was. But um, I'd love to see him have a full season uh, of operating with one directive and, and one directive only. I would want Brandon Hyde to say, Sam, you have no other purpose than to try and hit that warehouse. I want you to swing from the heels every time. That is all you should be trying for. Um, and when I go back, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Utah Street's home runs and have done some writing about that. Um, and he was with the Orioles on the move to, to Camden Yards, and he was a name that came up as maybe he'll be the first guy back when, you know, People didn't realize just how difficult it would actually be to, to hit the warehouse. But for me, uh, that younger fan would, would come out and be delighted uh, once more if we could add Sam Horn um, back onto the Orioles roster. And on those nights when he was swinging from the heels and getting nothing but strikeouts, that could bring out uh, what Mike Flanagan turned the, termed the, the Horn of Plenty, which was, I believe, a six-strikeout uh, offering. So Sam Horn's my number two. All right, my number two, a little controversial, and uh, it's Rafael Palmeiro. My own feelings on uh, players from the steroid era has has greatly evolved. Uh, there was a time in which I was a you know never Hall of Famer, um, saying that those guys cheated the game and didn't belong being in, um, and now I look at it more as a as a black stain on baseball itself rather than the players. And I, I think that the, the game, um, the coverage of the game, and the business of the game is just as much, if not more, to blame uh, for what happened in the 90s. And so I look at a player like Rafael Palmeiro, who, for all intents and purposes, should be among the game's greats and is in that group that's really been shunned because of the era that he played in and getting busted. Um, and so I would like to bring back Rafael Palmeiro for one game, for one at bat, to restart his retirement clock, uh, to give the rest of baseball some additional years to uh, to ponder what they want to do about the Hall of Fame and give him the opportunity uh, to get to get into the building. I'll say I was at the ballpark. I was at Camden Yards uh, for a day game, the Orioles and the Chicago White Sox. 
when the news came out that uh, Palmero uh, had been linked you know, with uh, performance-enhancing drugs, and uh, it, it felt like a cleat to the gut. It was just, especially after that congressional testimony, it was just so unbelievable. Um, and the only thing more difficult than, than digesting that information um, is the image stuck in my head of potentially Sammy Sosa injecting Rafael Palmero in the butt with you know, B12 that's, that's actually tainted. Um, so with that, I think it's probably a good time to move on. Um, and in the number one spot uh, for me um, is John Lowenstein. Um, I don't have um, many memories of, of John Lowenstein. One that, that comes to mind for me is, is being a kid um, at Memorial Stadium, and they used to have a, a highlight package. And as part of that, you see Lowenstein being carried off the field on a stretcher, and right before he reaches the dugout, he all of a sudden just sits up and throws his arms in the air triumphantly. Um, that wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was part of my imagination or not. I've, I've since gone back and looked and that, you know, that, that did happen. That was 1980. Um, and, um, that's a guy that I, when we think about color, when we think about fun, when we think about this team is terrible, but give me something to enjoy. I would just love to see John Lowenstein on this year's team for the simple fact that he would be the most quotable. He would be the guy that you would want on every mass, mass and post game interview. You would want to give him his own segment. Um, I mean, this is a guy that when he was uh, with the Cleveland Indians started the John Lowenstein Apathy Club, um, because uh, if I understand it correctly from what I've read, that that fans wanted to start a fan club, a John Lowenstein fan club, and and he was kind of a, against that idea, and um, so he suggested the John Lowenstein Apathy Club. Um, he wanted to celebrate mediocrity. Um, and uh, mediocrity would be a compliment to this year's team. I would just love to see the, the process of this year's team filtered through the perspective of John Lowenstein. Um, that, that would make, you know, if not the game itself, at least the post-game um, interviews and press conferences appointment viewing for me. All right. My, uh, my number one is going to be Jim Palmer. And not the Jim Palmer of his prime. Look, Jim Palmer tried to come out of retirement uh, and play, you know, in the 90s. And it did not did not work, right? He was not in any shape to do it. Uh, but I'd like to see him try again because, frankly, again, can't be worse than the cats we got out there. Um, and if you think that he's not arrogant enough to try it, you don't know Jim. Uh, I need me a little interesting uh, uh, show for the uh, for the Baltimore Orioles right now. Give me some Jim Palmer. I'd watch that. Um, and with that, I, you know, I think we've talked about things that would be fun, uh, things that would be good, things that might get bad, and and things that might just be ugly. And so that seems like an ideal time to jump on over and look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started and let our guests have the last word here. Uh, and my good is the draft. Uh, you know, again, it's it's interesting to see that we seem to trust the uh, present regime with the draft. 
But also, this is probably the highlight of the season. And with the Orioles having, you know, selected the the consensus number one pick and not being the laughing stock of baseball, it's kind of exciting and it's kind of interesting to see that this might be the window into what the Orioles might be. So my good for this week is the draft. I like that. As, as was said in the, a, a very entertaining movie, Along Came Polly, mazel mazel, good things. Um, so my good uh, for this week, um, and, and this comes in spite of your earlier comment about the man himself, um, but my good is going to be Renato Nunez. Yes, Renato has been homer happy of late. He's been barreling them up. He's had great exit velocity. Um, it has been a, a surprise, to say the least. It has been fun, to say the least. Um, I've, I've mentioned before on this podcast that uh, during my, my son's turn as a junior PA announcer for the uh, Nashville Sounds minor league team, he announced Renato Nunez. Um, so it was cool to see him come to the Orioles and uh, try and get my son interested through that. But now we're actually getting some results. Um, one thing that's interesting, I read this, I, I hadn't been to the uh, website before, Pitcher List, but uh, I came across that this week. Um, and they raised an interesting point of, uh, could any of this be credited to the O's analytics department that um, he's pulling the ball uh, a lot more than he had in the past and has kind of realized the, the value in that for himself, regardless of whether it is or it's not. Um, Renato Nunez is swinging a hot bat, uh, and so he's my good for this week. I like it. All right, my bad is going to go to games that were not Friday. Um, you know, the San Francisco Giants are they're having their own struggles this season, and so to see the Orioles fight back against them and, and overcome them in that game is probably, you know, not... Not incredibly surprising, uh, but then it was it was disappointing to watch the Orioles get beaten so handily by such a bad club, um, and we just have that to look forward to. And so in this week, games that were not Friday were just another painful reminder of what it is I have to watch this season. Well, just keep in mind, even in a 100-loss season, baseball fans get 62 Games where they walk away feeling good. So there are some other Fridays out there for us. Uh, my bad for this week, we mentioned his name earlier, so I don't need to go into too great of depth, but it's Mark Trumbo. Uh, he's on the way back, uh, but it's been a while since I've been less excited about the prospective return of a veteran from injury. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just have to say that uh, you know we are seeing... Um, small markers um, of, of the future and uh, looking for more of those. And we have the draft and we get excited about what might lie down the line and where this might all end up. And then here comes along comes Trumbo and uh, he's going to remind us of the past um, part of what got us into this mess. Um, and uh, it is not going to be uh, a welcome sight for me. So Mark Trumbo is my bad for this week. All right. My ugly is the hangover. No, not the film, not the actual event. I'm referring to the time period that it will take place after the draft. We're all excited right now. We're really hopeful. We're looking at an organization that's trying to turn the corner by doing well the thing that they have done so poorly for so long. And I am genuinely excited about that. But once the draft ends, 
we will have to turn our attention back to the play on the field in Baltimore. And that, that will be ugly. But the worst part is, is that the depths of sorrow after the highs of joy will be, uh, will be that much more difficult to swallow. So for me, it's the post-draft hangover. That's my ugly for this week. I'm dry heaving at the very thought of it. My ugly for this week, um, you know, there's so much ugly on the field to choose from. That's to be expected. So I'm actually going to go off the field for my ugly this week. And um, have you seen the floppy hat that was revealed this week? My ugly is that floppy hat. The Orioles floppy hat. Um, you know, I, I don't want to beat up the Orioles uh, for marketing and promotions because they've done a very good job, I think, this year uh, and in recent years that there was a, a time uh, where they took a, a lot of abuse um, and they've corrected things. They're doing a lot of good things. They're doing a lot of things right. So I hate to be critical, but I think one thing that for me is not right is the floppy hat. This is a night that, you know, I think some fans look forward to. They're excited about the floppy hat. Um, and I'm, I'm casting stones from a glass house here because listen, I've got the, you know, Orioles Hawaiian shirt, the Birdland Hawaiian shirt from last season and, and I wear it proudly and it's ugly, but I think in some ways it's a Hawaiian shirt. It's meant to be ugly. That the floppy hat, that's something different. Um, and I think this definitely follows that kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And it's just, it's not working for me. So my ugly for this week, unfortunately, sadly, in spite of a lot of right from uh, Orioles promotions, it's going to be wrong for me, the Orioles floppy hat. All right. As uh, someone who cares deeply about the aesthetics of sports, and particularly those of the Baltimore Orioles, I I can get behind that. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, take a moment. I talked about Kevin, Kevin Gregg earlier and blow the safe. Matt, with the draft choice of uh, Rutschman, we have some things to look forward to, and that is puns based on his name. Uh, of course, who knows what the new regime of the Orioles' social media will come up with. Uh, Olivia, if you're listening, go to it. This is your time. Um, but i got to tell you, Matt, I, I find the flying Rutschman reference to be lazy. I find it to be lazy and overdone, and frankly, we're better than this Birdland. Just tonight, I've, I've heard an interesting one. This is a good one. Talking about rush hour. All right, that, that's got some legs to it. Um, but I would like to humbly uh, suggest a, a Rutschman pun uh, for our use in you know mid-game tweeting. Let me just set the stage for you here, Matt. Uh, close your eyes, visualize with me. Take yourself into the future. It's 2021 or maybe 2022. You're sitting, oh, let's say in Section 8 of Oriole Park at Camden Yards, enjoying a, a cold local craft beer in one hand and 
something delicious, you know, a hot dog, some nachos in the right hand. Uh, it's a tie game, and the bases are loaded. It's maybe late innings. We'll call it seventh, eighth inning. Uh, and Rutschman comes up to the plate. This is the time for you as a fan to get excited. So you put all that amazing food down. You stand up. You're cheering. You're clapping. You're in the moment. You're excited. You realize that the game is on the line, and you are with the other 47,000 people in the stadium. You are connected to the rest of Birdland, cheering at home from their living rooms on Masson and in the bars, and the pitch is delivered and Rutschman rolls over and grounds out to third base, and the inning is over. And you realize that there uh, there may not be another chance like that for the rest of the game. And you realize that in that moment, it was Rutsch ado about nothing. No? No? Not too too much, perhaps? I, I think that's well played. Um, okay. I'm going to sit on that for like three years. So I'm hoping that I remember that. Um, and that Twitter still exists when Rutschman is up. Um, so Birdland, uh, Bird's Eye View listeners, we need you. Right? I need your best Adley Rutschman puns, and I need them tweeted at my face. You can get them to us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com and also on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. And Jake, can I just offer that the, the, name, uh, the, the use of the name that you came up with for this very episode truly adly deeply makes it a must that whatever nickname emerges whatever the twittersphere decides to use for this guy that surely truly madly deeply by i had to look it up savage garden has to be walk-up music um, at some point um i mean he'll be our dream he'll be our wish he'll be our fantasy he'll be our hope uh, you knew the lyrics. No, I, I think you're wrong about that. I think that that needs to be the song that plays as he rounds the bases after a home run because the ball will have been hit truly, adly, deeply. You're good at what you do. And that's our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review this show. The guys appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can complain that Scott is absent on a business trip at scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And, uh, Matt, where on the interwebs can we find you and your great work? Please uh, take some time to visit RoarFrom34.com, soon to be redesigned. And uh, I'm happy to, to talk on the Twitters as well. I'm at RoarFrom34. Uh, so I welcome the opportunity to interact uh, with other members of the Orioles community, which makes this all so much fun, even in a losing season. And I'll say, Jake, it has been fun. And Bird's Eye View listeners, it has been fun. And I do not want to say goodbye. So instead, let's just make it smell you later and with that Baltimore and beyond I'll bid you all a fond 
Adieu, adieu. Still here? It's over. Go home. Go.